to another episode of Hoop Talk by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? And today we're going over the forgotten greatest teams of the Western Conference from the 2000s to present day. So the first team that we're going to look at is the 2002 Sacramento Kings. Jalen, do you think that this was the greatest team to never win the finals? I can't say they were the greatest team, but I got to say, if there's one team within my lifetime that I feel like I was able to recall in terms of being neglected by the refs, maybe maybe neglected is even the right word, just almost downright disrespected by the refs, I would say that it would be the Sacramento Kings. If you've ever looked into basketball history, their series – in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers may be one of the most controversial games to watch as a fan who actually pays attention to refereeing. A lot of different things took place in, I think it was especially game six, game five and six, that really turned that series around. And we're talking about a very stacked roster. I mean, we're talking about a team that had Mike Bibby on the come up. They still had Chris Webber, who, when, it, when we're talking about a young ascending all-star he was in his eighth year mind you but the thing is no matter what team he had been on since entering the league he always had an impact in terms of turning them around and turning them into a playoff contender and then I mean they just had a lot of like solid guys Hito Turkoglu was kind of coming into his own as a as a rookie um he ended up turning into a very great player for Orlando and then Peja Stojakovic which can never be slept on as probably like one of the better European shooters to ever play the game. So I, I think maybe they're not necessarily one of the best teams to never win a championship. I think that um, some of the older Utah Jazz teams would fit that mold a little bit better. But I think this is one of those teams that could have truly been etched in the history if they were able to get over that that hump that was the Lakers. But I, I think they got held back. I don't want to say it was conspiracy. I don't want to say that there was that that they were too early. I don't want to, you know, hold anything against them in terms of that. But I really think that they would be regarded a lot higher if things had went their way. What I want to ask you, I guess, almost in response to your question, what the question is, do you think that this is one of the most dynamic offensive teams that you've ever seen in league history? Absolutely. I think that if, if, if you think about it before the season started, they had Jason Williams, who was probably one of the, uh, mm-hmm. the most flashy point guards in the league. I mean, he was really known for his passing, not so much for his shooting, but I think they knew that they needed to transition in order to win a championship. And they went out and got Mike Bibby, who was definitely a more balanced point guard. There really wasn't a clear star if you think about it. They had name value, but I don't think there was like a clear star that you could identify was the best player on this team. Like I said, Mike Bibby, he was a balanced point guard. Doug Christie was a solid defender. Peja was one of the best three-point shooters. You had Chris Webber in his prime, and Vlade Divac was contributing. 
and Weber and Divash were actually part of a great front court duo. And then you had some help off the bench. Bobby Jackson gave them solid minutes off the bench as a six man. Scott Pollard was a good option for when Divash or Weber needed, needed to come off. Keto Turkoglu, like I said, or like you said, started to grow into a nice option off the bench. This was basically showing us a glimpse of what he would become in Orlando. And at the time, listen, they had 61 wins, which is more than the Lakers. And their journey to the Western Conference Finals wasn't even that easy. They went through the Stockton Malone Jazz. They went through the young and hungry Mavs team with Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash, and Michael Finley. That, that was a tough challenge in and of itself. And then you confront the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And then you have the lead 3-2 to two after Mike Bibby wins it for you in Game 5. And then the officials kind of ruined it for them in game six. If you think about it, I mean, the Lakers went to the, went to the line 27 times in the fourth quarter alone. If you think about it, I mean, if you, if you look at some of those calls and you rewatch the game, some of those calls should not have been called. I mean, it kind of was the reason why a lot of their big men kind of fouled out early in the game or early in the fourth quarter, because a lot of those calls were not supposed to be called when we talk about these great teams, there's obviously going to be like that one downfall. There wasn't a downfall with this actual team. It's just the refs. The the refs didn't really help them at all. I mean, they helped the Lakers more than anything. And you could look at the stats, the 27 times that the Lakers went to the, went to the line. And you can look at like some of the calls themselves. And I think the main thing about it is, I mean, if you want to, if you want to touch on the calls, I think an interesting way to look at it is if you want to go all conspiracy theory mode, I think that one of the things you can point out is how the refs almost kind of catered to the bully ball style of driving inside and playing through the post the way the Lakers did. I mean, we have to remember just to kind of put things into perspective from an offensive standpoint. The Kings this year were in this 2001-2002 season were first in points per game. They were first in pace of play. They were sixth in defensive rating. They were third in offensive rating. This is one of the best teams overall in league on the offense from an offensive standpoint. And they played kind of like the free-spirited kind of basketball that we watch now with a lot of the pace, um, a lot of the up and down, a lot of the taking advantage of a uh, open open core opportunities on fast breaks and different things like that and I think that I mean we all have this understanding that trying to be a a, a scary high octane offense has not had its perfect results in terms of the playoffs Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash and the seven seconds or less offense never could really get over the hump older Golden, Golden State Warrior teams with the run TMC teams and things like that, they were always fun to watch, but was it productive within the playoffs? I think to a certain extent, you can almost say the thing, same thing about James Harden in the playoffs where he was more of a finesse style or he is more of a finesse style player that relies on those said calls, but kind of finesses or like plays his way into those calls. And I think that Back then, especially with the mentality that the refs have in comparison to now, I think that they may have possibly even been catering to the Lakers. And I would say the most impressive thing about that, if that were the case, is the series still went to seven games. I mean, Sacramento won in five games, what, back-to-back in terms of of the series? So, I mean – 
against between Utah and Dallas, I mean, they, they were pretty much running them off the court. It was one of those things where they were just too much and it's kind of hard for the refs to get very involved. But for the Lakers, between storyline of that season and then on top of that, just their way of playing, I think Sacramento kind of overcame the odds a little bit and kind of played in spite of what they were against. But, it, I mean, it shows just how high octane their offense really was to even be able to hang with all that being against them. Yeah, I think what's crazy about that was how well this team was. You said first in pace. They were a glimpse of what we see in the NBA today. Very fast-paced today. You very you very rarely see teams pass the ball as much as the Kings did back in 2002. And you see that now more in today's game. And I think they've kind of set the bar for what today's game really is. And I think they should get the credit that they deserve. There's a good case to say that that was the greatest team to never win the finals. And I think speaking of like the current game, a team that we're actually going to move up to next, I think embodies the idea of an underappreciated team that might not have had as great of an opportunity as the Kings did. But I think it was the collection of talent that they had and how they produced that really makes them a special team. And that's actually the 2018-2019 Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, we have this understanding this year that the Clippers, I mean, let's be real. They, they look OP. They're stacked from one through five, the bench, the coach. I mean, sheesh, maybe the, co- maybe the training staff probably <laughs> has their own separate contracts that are better than most in the league. They just like look like a very stacked team. But, like, let's look back at the 2018-2019 Los Angeles Clippers for a second. They were a team that had a very decent collection of guys and at one point was simply led by the trio group of, like, guys like Patrick Beverly, Tobias Harris at one point for sure, and Lou Williams. And this was, this was a team that finished eighth in the West despite looking like, you know, after trading to Toby to – the 76ers, they truly looked like a team that maybe was just going to, you know, pack up shop, go into the draft. They were they they had draft capital that was definitely going to come. And if they had missed the playoffs, it actually almost would have fit more in their favor. Where do you stand on a team like that that may not have the regular season and postseason success on the level of a team like the Kings, but it's what they did with the collection of talent that they did have. This was a team that I don't think was supposed to make the playoffs. Like I never, I never thought that this team was going to make the playoffs. If anything, I I made a prediction before the season that LeBron and the LA Lakers in his first season were not going to make the playoffs. And that prediction shockingly came true because the LA Clippers (laughs) picked up the eight seed and they, they had the eight seed and they also had 48 wins under their belt tied with the Spurs. Well, the Lob City team was disbanded at that point. Chris Paul was off to the Rockets. Blake Griffin was with uh, the Detroit Pistons. DeAndre Jordan had left for the uh, Dallas Mavericks. You're basically left with a group of random NBA players who were not only leftovers from the uh, Rockets trade, but basically just who were left over from the Clippers. You had Pat Beverly, who was a solid defender. Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams were solid bench players, and they're definitely – they, they were kind of foreshadowing what they would become now in this great Clippers team with Kawhi and Paul George. And then you have Danilo Gallinari, who's always been a great shooter on the outside. I would say one of, the, one of their best shooters from the free throw line. 
And then you have a Shea and Avika Zubak given some time to shine. I also thought with this team that there were some points in the playoffs where I thought the Warriors were going to were going to lose in the first round to the LA Clippers, which would have been a rarity considering that if the LA Clippers had upset the Golden State Warriors, it would have been the fourth eight seed, the fourth upset of a one seed by an eight seed in NBA history. I, I think what that team was able to do, considering they traded away Tobias Harris and they picked up Landry Shamet and they incorporated him to the starting lineup. I, I don't think anybody expected them to be this good because they traded away all their big stars from the Lob City team. And then you had a great shooter in Tobias Harris, a nice backup big man in Boban Marjanovic. It was almost it was almost surprising to see how well this team became and the distance that they took Golden State because they really had the Warriors on their heels for two games. And I think the big thing about everything you said is that we have to kind of give a big ups to the front office. I mean, obviously, Jerry West is honestly the greatest executive in league history, if not potentially in sports. And this is kind of a did it again moment. And granted, this was the preamble to the team that we're seeing now. But to be able to continuously year after year put a productive roster on the court and to be able to get the most out of their guys I mean we can legitimately say that over the last decade I would say probably since maybe I'll say about since 2012 2013 in terms of our lifetime we've technically seen the Clippers produce better and at a higher level than the Lakers, even though we still have the uh, the unspoken rule kind of understanding that the Lakers are kind of like the big brothers in the dynamic between the two. But I guess if it was up to our generation, technically we, we wouldn't really call it that almost. I mean, we are, we are aware of Kobe. We're aware of uh, Magic Johnson. We're aware of guys like James Worthy, the Shaq, different things like that. But we've just, in terms of us, in terms of our lifetime, we've actually seen the Clippers be more productive on the court as a whole. And I think that although this is a team that, again, might have been like the sacrifice to build the team that we see today that just looks stacked head to toe, I think the foundation and structure that they had from that team to know that, you know, they don't even have a, I guess, a second star type player on their team to know that they could do what they could do what they did to win nearly 50 games to still sneak into the eighth spot in a tough western conference that seemed to only get harder by the years anyway it definitely shows that yes the roster we see right now is crazy but i think i mean they wouldn't be i wouldn't pick them to win the championship this year the way we we most of us have now but i think that team could have came in this season and still been dangerous as pre-constructed. And I think that's like the most interesting thing about that squad is that is one of those teams that might not look like anything on paper, but that's exactly why they end up winning as many games as they do. Because the minute you underestimate, they step over you and then step past you. And I thought that, I think that's just really interesting about their squad. Do you think that the Clippers that their downfall was that they were in a tough Western Conference that was only going to get tougher as the seasons went on? 
So I think personally that the tough Western Conference has hurt a lot of teams in the last decade. I mean, the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies, I feel like they stuck with OKC and the Spurs. It felt like it was them against OKC or them against the Spurs every year for like five or six years in a row when it came to the playoffs. Teams like Portland this year, teams like the Clippers last year. I I think that the Western Conference as a whole in its uh, top to bottom depth has held a lot of teams back. And I think that's created a lot of interesting what ifs. I will say, again, I do not believe that they would have been a finals team last year, even if they were in the Eastern Conference. But getting ousted in the first round, I couldn't, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't even try to pencil them in. I don't think I would try to make it plausible because A, with their record, they wouldn't have been an A seed. And B, I feel like their roster, I mean, versus teams that we were, like, used to seeing getting into the playoffs, the magic towards the bottom every year. I hope the Bulls sneak in, but, you know, I've been a little hurt in that regard. Different things like that. You know, this is a team that deserved to be there. And it was like whether they were in the West or the East, they were going to be a problem. They just ran into a scary Golden State Warrior team that just got KD, had the gas pedal on full tilt. And like they said in the interview, when one of the guys, one of the uh, reporters actually asked, like, what do you think you can do better to guard KD? He said, he's Kevin Durant. We're doing the best we can, but he's Kevin Durant. And I think you're right. He just ran into a buzzsaw. And if they could have dodged that, I think they would have got further along. But yet, yes, to answer your question, I think if they were in the East, I think we'd have seen a lot more of them. I think we would have seen them get a lot further. And I think we could have potentially penciled them in as an Eastern Conference Finals appearance type of team at best. I agree that they they definitely struggled because of where they're at in the conference they are the eight seed. I don't think they play like an eight seed. They're definitely a five seed if they were in the East. It, it's just it's just tough seeing a team like as talented as the Clippers, who really weren't who, like I said earlier, weren't supposed to be that good, but they turned out to be a really solid team. Definitely not finals worthy though, but I think they definitely should be they should be recognized as one of the better Clipper teams that they've had in their organization. We're gonna throw it back to the year two thousand where the Portland Trailblazers were were one of the better teams. I think they were right behind the Lakers in terms of the standings in 2000. And that team is definitely an underrated team in which some people kind of wonder what happened if they, if they didn't blow a lead in game seven against the Lakers. How do you feel about this team? And do you think that this team is a, a, a forgotten great team? So, when you when you picked this one for our itinerary today, I had to do a little bit of digging, honestly, because when we insert the word great for teams and players, you know, we have to take into account their production on the floor. We have to take into account how they produced, where they stood that year in the league, especially because we tried to focus very heavily on what year of the roster we were speaking on. And I have to say that they, they definitely were kind of a forgotten great team in terms of the Western Conference. I mean, they were a team that had a lot of guys that 
we're in the the back half of their career. I mean, we have over half the roster with at least eight years in the league or longer with guys like Jermaine O'Neal being the being a young buck on this team, uh, Rashid Wallace being a young buck on this team. But to have those veteran leaders in like historical guards like Greg Anthony, Steve Smith, who I highly respect in terms of his competitiveness, and I've watched him on open court speak and talk about the game. I've come to realize just how excellent of a player he actually was and almost doesn't get the credit for it. And I think the most interesting thing about a team like this is probably Scottie Pippen being on the team, which this is another one of those cases, one of those cases where, you know, you tend to always associate certain players with certain teams. Scottie Pippen with the Trailblazers or Scottie Pippen when he went to Houston, they're things that we don't really put a lot of emphasis on. Let me just highlight something for you that I found highly interesting. Scottie Pippen in this year only averaged 12 and a half points, six rebounds, and five assists. This was a guy who was used to being the ultimate Robin, one of the ultimate, one of like probably one of the greatest Robins in league history. His first year in Portland. It blew up as smoke. I think that this is one of those rosters that when you look back at them, we're going to label them as one of those ancient rosters that kind of outperformed who they had on their team. The biggest takeaway that I have from looking at this team is that they overcame a lot of odds in terms of their experience level, in terms of like age amongst the team. But I also think that that's exactly why they were built for the run that they had. I think my question to you is, do you think that their roster was built for the run they went on? That's an interesting question. I'm going to have to say yes, because this was another team that could have beaten Kobe and Shaq. They took them to Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals, and this team, I thought, had the talent to beat them. We, you mentioned Rasheed Wallace being a young star at the time, and you you can't forget about Arvita Sabonis, who was a solid big man for them, and well is also a well-respected leader on the team. Steve Smith, you talked about him being a great pickup. He was a great pickup from the Hawks, and I also think he's probably one of the more underrated players in the league. Okay. They also got they also got some nice bench minutes from uh, Detlef Schrempf, who was basically at the end end of the road of his career. They also had Damon Stoudemire. And uh, Bonzi Wells, who gave them nice minutes and nice production. And then you mentioned Skye Pippen. It almost kind of was like, was Skye Pippen that piece that they needed to go to the finals? I think maybe he was. I think he, he needed to get out of Houston. That team was not working. That system was not working. He did not like being the third option. So he needed to go to, the, to uh, the Blazers, where he became a much-valued member of the team. I think he was a much-valued contributor. I think he was a much-valued option on the team. I just think the problem was they went to a Game 7 with the Lakers, and they had leads that they just blew, especially considering, you know, you had young Kobe. Shaq was in the middle of his prime. This team was basically unbeatable. I think if they had kept that 15-point lead in Game 7, 
they de- we definitely could have had a much different conversation today about how great this team was. There were stars on this team, but Sky Pippen really didn't seem like the piece that they needed. Do you feel the same way? Do you see Sky Pippen as somebody on this Blazers squad that doesn't really fit the mold of what the team is the team is becoming at the time? So I think with Scottie Pippen, I think the uh, the thing that we have to understand is that, you know, we can never step in st- into the shoes of anybody, but we all understand what basketball mortality is. I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, around the year that we're focusing on age 34, this is this is where the questionable years start coming on. Not everybody is LeBron James with enhanced longevity. The idea that you know, they're going to be able to play three, four, five more high-level seasons before they get regulated into, you know, more of a uh, bench role. I think another thing that we have to touch on is that it's hard to say that he was the missing link when he himself was coming off a season where Houston, the entire debacle was a lot of kind of ironically what they kind of do now with Daryl Morey instead of in terms of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. They took a lot of names by putting guys like Charles Barkley on that team where it was like, yeah, they were in the upper years of their career in terms of, okay, this is about trying to win a ring now. But the idea was he was coming off a frustrated year where if anything, he needed to insert himself into a more productive environment with components that actually fit so I think when it comes to the Trailblazers team I almost think his escape to Portland was almost more of a help for him than it was for them but he also did bring a championship mentality so we can't sleep on that at all yeah I have to agree I mean you obviously have to respect a guy who won six rings was basically Michael Jordan's secondhand man I just think it's interesting though the way his career kind of panned out after 1998. I mean, he went to go to Houston, which really didn't seem like a good fit for him in the first place. I mean, Charles Barkley, I think was the clear, was the clear second option. And I think Hakeem was the number one option on that team. Scotty didn't like being the third option. I think he wasn't used to being on a team where he was the third option. I don't think he was able really to gel with, a team like Houston, I think he was able to gel with a team like Portland considering how much, like I said earlier, how much he was valued on this team. You had a lot of young guys like Rasheed Wallace. Uh, you had young Jermaine O'Neal, Bonzi Wells, Damon Stoudemire. He was on a team that was not only filled with some young guys that he could give some advice to considering he's been to the finals six times, but he's also – has he also has teammates that have playoff experience elsewhere kind of brings some value there to the table like another element to the table I, I don't really know if this move was was really like hurting Sky Pippen I mean he still reached the Western Conference Finals unlike where he was in Houston where he only made it to the first round didn't really get out of there at all I don't really know what could have become of this team if they didn't blow the lead in game seven I mean, I think it really all depends. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, that was a pretty balanced roster that really came down to a couple of shots in a big game against the infamous Lakers team. 
I think the most interesting thing about that roster is just the level of a balance between the older guys that might have been getting up in their career but still had that productivity to be able to lead a playoff charge versus some of those young guys you listed off that provided a dynamic punch for that squad. That's actually why, and I love that that's the route that we're going because this next team, our final team, is probably my favorite team on the list, and it's because of that similar collection of guys all around their career linking up in one spot uh, by hook or by crook, potentially having one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen, and that's the 2007 We Believe Warriors. Ryan, before we even talk about whether or not they are a great forgotten Western Conference team or not, because I don't even think this is debatable at this point. The real question is, who was your favorite player on this team of just just dynamic athletes on this squad? I'd have to say Stephen Jackson. I, I think if you, if you think about how well he was not only during the season but in the playoffs, look at Steven Jackson's game six against the Mavericks. Dirk Nowitzki had one of his worst playoff games ever, and here comes Steven Jackson who's shooting lights out at Oracle Arena. If you want to talk about a team that believed, I mean, Steven Jackson was a player that believed. I think the entire team believed that they could do it they became the third eight seed to take down the one seed in the playoffs outside the uh, 1994 Seattle Supersonics and the 1999 New York Knicks. The entire team in general could be considered as like a team of great players. They took down Dallas, the one seed, made the finals last year. They had the reigning MVP in Dirk Nowitzki. And then you look at the other side, Baron Davis averaged 20 and eight shooting uh, 44% during the season. He averaged 25 and six in the playoffs. And I mean, we can't forget that Baron Davis dunked on uh, Andre Kirilenko in the <laughs> semifinals. That's, that's the, I think that was just like the exclamation point on how good this team was. I know Steven Jackson is probably my favorite player to watch on this team. But if you talk about Monta Ellis oh becoming, becoming the most improved player that season. Beat me and you're, right to the punch. And then you get solid minutes from Matt Barnes and Richardson. This team is a team filled with solid contributors. But like, let's play off of let's play off of that last point for a second, though. Not only is it a team full of solid contributors, our whole segment is about underrated great Western Conference teams. I think that you can say damn near every player on this team could be considered an underrated great player overall. I mean, we're talking about Matt Barnes, sniper gang, when it comes to shooting three-pointers. Baron Davis, you've already spoken on some of his athletic ability, but that, don't, that, that only grazes the surface in terms of just how great of a player he was overall. Monte Ellis, like you said before, becoming one of the most improved players in the, in the league that year and developed into pretty much a a long-term solution for that team following after 2007 because before Steph Curry, Monte Ellis was the staple of that team. He was the dynamic scorer. He was that guy. I used to use him in 2K all the time just because I knew that he was a guy that I could rely on to get a bucket, especially down stretch. Al Harrington 
who is definitely an underrated big man who produced a ton in his first stint with Indiana. And honestly, after a lot of malice in the palace stuff got associated with Indiana, that I feel like him and Steven Jackson kind of ended up taking a fall for that. And their careers, kind of similar to Ron Artest, kind of led them into a bounce all over the league. Jason Richardson lived above the rim, ended up turning into a three-point shooter, ironically, aged gracefully, ended up going into Orlando and becoming like a good stretch shooter for them. Michael Pietras, which I think is a name that a lot of people do not know, solid defender. When he was when he was engaged, he was potentially one of the better defenders in the league at the time. He gambled a lot, and it would force him into a lot of situations where he could get in easy foul trouble and different things like that. But boy, when those gambles work, he could get you a big steal or big block down the stretch when it was needed. I mean, when you really go down this roster. I mean, even Mike Dunleavy, who I think is like slept on just from the fact that he falls into the stereotypical lineage of Duke players that maybe up until Kyrie Irving, or I guess maybe to a certain, to a lesser degree, Grant Hill coming out of Duke, simply just had kind of like a a steady J.J. Redick-esque career. But I'd be cool with being J.J. Redick honestly being guy who consistently makes the playoffs is known as a high volume three-point shooter in terms of his efficiency from the from behind the arc I mean they just had a team that if we were making a first team underrated squad we wouldn't even have to check another roster I think the best way to kind of end off the podcast I think we should go like this out of the four teams that we've discuss today which team do you think is the one that was would be that was or should have more likely won a championship I have to go out on a limb and say the 2002 Kings I said I said this before and I'll say it again I think this is the team the greatest team to never win an NBA finals if you look at the 2002 Kings this is a team that is very underrated. 61 wins, went through Stockton Malone, went through Dirk Nowitzki and Steve Nash. The problem was Kobe and Shaq. Kobe and Shaq in that year, they were, very, they were a very talented duo. I could say one of the greatest duos of all time outside of uh, Jordan and Pippen. But the refs really did not help their cause. Like I said earlier, the Lakers went to the line 27 times in the fourth quarter. I just feel like the Kings never really got their fair share. This was a team, again, like I said, they really didn't have a downfall. They really had the chance to go to the finals and sweep their opponent in the finals. I don't think they would have done that with the Lakers. I definitely think this was a seven-game series like it should have been. But that game six is always going to go into everyone's mind as the what-if game. What if the Lakers didn't go to the line 27 times? What if Weber and Pollard and Divash didn't get into foul trouble late in the game? What if the calls went the Kings' way instead of going the Lakers' way most of the time? Obviously, yeah, they could have won Game 7. And I think what the events of Game 6 kind of hurt them in winning Game 7 or in losing Game 7, I, I think this, this is a team – this is a team where everyone's going to think that they, they should have won a ring. 
as biased as I am towards Golden State, because I love dang near everybody on the roster, I have to agree with you. And I think it's for everything that you said. I feel like it genuinely was a roster that was built to win that year. They were a roster that was more than prepared to hang with the Lakers. I think actually did hang with the Lakers in spite of a lot of things, considering they got to the game seven. And I think the biggest thing that you pointed out is the what ifs. I mean, nothing hurts more probably for any of them to discuss if they were to go back and look at that team than the what ifs that all came about throughout game six of that series. And I think if we take those out, you know, you can't, but if you could, I think the outcome looks a lot different. And with that being the case, I mean, they, like I said before, they were a team that was built kind of for that stretch. I feel like out of all the teams that we had, they had the type of dynamic pace of play and the mentality within their conference to hang with those other teams. When it came to Houston, I still think like when it came to, I mean, when it came to the Trailblazers, I apologize. When it comes to the Trailblazers, I still think they were kind of on the back nine in terms of a lot of players on their roster. When it came to the Clippers last year, I still feel like although they had a lot of talent, they were a team that within the Western Conference was only maybe going to get out the first round, if that, which, I mean, I feel I feel like they were set up for failure, ended up against Golden State in the first place. And then when it comes to Golden State, they ran into a buzzsaw in the Jazz. The Jazz were more mature than them. The Jazz were a lot more built big man wise with, you know, Carlos Boozer coming into his own where I almost feel like they got as far as they were supposed to get, no matter how much they did believe. So I feel like the Kings talk about one of the biggest what if championship teams ever. That was a solid take Jalen. And that is how we will end today's podcast on the next episode. We're going to look at the forgotten greatest Eastern conference teams from the 2000s to present day.